This. This is, this is diversified, diversified, diversified game, game, game. game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kelly. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. Hey, it's Kellen, and today you guys see I got the new hat because it's hot out here when I'm outside in the office, and I am just happy that today we have Jaku all the way from South Africa, and he has a website that the links will be in the description no matter where you're listening or watching, but how we made it in Africa. I'm not going to mislead anybody. I go to his website and sometimes I've been able to get great interviews of the people he's featured off this website. So Jaku, welcome to the show. I had to give you your credit before we get started. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being a guest. I just, can we start at the beginning? How did you come up with this concept for how we made it in Africa? Okay, great. I won't go, I won't go too far back in my history, but I've been in media my entire working life. And uh, so I started How We Made It in Africa in 2010. And before that, I worked for a Nigerian business publication called Trade Invest Nigeria. It was based between South Africa and Nigeria. It was sort of jointly owned by South Africans and Nigerians. And it was a website and we also did printed brochures for states in Nigeria. And through that, I traveled to Nigeria quite a bit and I became very interested in what was happening in the rest of the continent besides like outside South Africa. These days, every big South African company has or had many of them pulled out of the not being able to make it. But at that stage, it, it wasn't really, it wasn't like it's now where people from Kenya go to Nigeria and South Africa, people from South Africa open a subsidiary in Nigeria. Like it, it, I knew very few people who went who've been to Nigeria at that stage. So anyway, I, I became quite interested in what was happening in the rest of the continent. And at this, that stage, there was also um, internationally this newfound excitement about the opportunities in Africa. This was just before McKinsey's famous report. I think that came out in 2010. That was launched. It was before the Economist's uh, hopeful continent covered all that and things were just sort of starting to pick up. But the problem with the publication where I worked was that our, the, the clients were basically state governments in Nigeria and the vast majority of our content was basically advertorials paid for by the clients. So from an editorial perspective, it wasn't very exciting. And I just thought that there might be an opportunity to do a pan-African business publication similar to 
Forbes, like at that stage, there wasn't something like the Forbes Africa there is now, but something similar to Forbes or Fortune or some of these American or international publications that I loved where it talked about people and business trends as opposed to what stocks to buy or personal finance type information. So in 2010, yeah, I quit my job. And in 2010, I launched How We Made It in Africa from my apartment. During the day, I backed up, moved my bed up vertically against the wall. And that sort of became my, my, my working space. And I inherited a little bit of money from my grandfather who passed away at the time. It wasn't a lot. It was probably about uh, eight, nine months salary. So it's not nothing, but it definitely wasn't like a lot of money. So I had that to support me during the early days. Like I thought I was going to make money much earlier, but I obviously didn't. And yeah, initially I also didn't have grand ambitions. At the previous company where I worked, I was on a fairly low journalist salary. And I just figured that I would be able in a few months to at least match that salary from my own business. And that would then give me a platform to, to either grow this company or to pivot it a bit or sort of see, see, see what happens. What also I think counted in my favor was the previous company where I worked. It was a very small company and which allowed me to see how the entire business operated. So I sat a few meters from the salespeople. I could hear how they did their pitches and all of that. And I was also the person who started the website for that company. So editorially, I knew what, and that company actually made quite good money. So editorially, I knew sort of what was required. And the only missing piece was then the advertising. And from that, I felt I had a relatively good idea of what should be done by listening to the other salespeople. And yeah, I just uh, went for it. Yeah, in the beginning, it was just me. And like slowly but surely, I started uh, appointing people. And yeah, it basically just slowly but surely grew from there. Um, should I stop here or should I continue? No, I mean, I, I, I let the guests tell the story because it's, it's fascinating. You went from journalist to, you know, putting it all together and sales and advertising is not something naturally journalist, you know, that we have. Um, as a publicist, you know, I started as a journalist and it's like when people say, hey, we want to do ads, um, I do business. But that's a different skill set because it's a lot of cold calling or emailing and all that. So was the business model just we're going to do it like the traditional, you know, corporations? Are we going to kind of remix it? Because even if you have their structure, you and you could even have the list of their networks, you don't have their numbers yet. So how did you say take the courage to say, okay, 
I'm going to do it, even though I can't, I don't have the numbers they have. How did you convince them to even give you money? Yeah, so interestingly, yeah, so, so that's the conundrum is you start the website. Yeah, maybe just a, a quick backstory. So I literally, at that stage, especially in South Africa, companies who did web-related things still commissioned their own back-end sort of a company to build everything from scratch for them. And I, I basically bought a WordPress template online. I think it cost like $50 and I probably spent another $100 to get some guys in Eastern Europe to do a few customizations for me. And it, it looked fine. And I, I remember a year before at my previous company, they spent probably the equivalent of about $30,000 to revamp the entire site and get someone to build an entire back end for them. And I basically started something um, with less than 1% of that money and it looked just as good. But anyway, so yeah, the, the, the issue is obviously, okay, now you've got this website and you need to start making money. I mean, I've only got a few months runway, but you're not going to get um, traffic right at the beginning. So what I did, which is maybe, or not maybe, it was a bit illegal. I, I basically bought a list of um, South African businesses. Like at that stage, you could get it on a, on a CD. It, I think it had about 20,000 email addresses of various companies and I initially, I, and we did a newsletter. So we sent out this newsletter to this list and we told advertisers that it's going to these 15,000 because the website itself definitely didn't have 15,000 visitors in the first few months. And we told them, yeah, it's going to all these people. And then they just bought advertising directly on the newsletter. So, yeah, I mean, those early days, it was always the biggest question, like, where is your traffic? But, I mean, you just sort of, we, we came across lots of advertisers who were less concerned about the traffic because at that stage, especially in South, like we talked in terms of advertising, the majority of our clients were in South Africa at that stage. And because every South African or there was this big hype about business in the rest of Africa, a lot of South African companies wanted to get in and there wasn't really any platforms like ours. And it also helped that we were in the same country as them. And they basically just advertised anyway, because there was really a sort of a sense of urgency, I think, um, for companies to open up shop in Kenya and Nigeria and wherever before it's too late. And yeah, what, what then happened is a lot of those companies made sort of very bad decisions without really understanding the markets and they've since, since pulled out and uh, lost a lot of money. But yeah, so we kept on slowly making money from advertising, slowly adding people 
so yeah, this was completely bootstrapped. There wasn't any investment or anything. Um, so we just made do with the money that we brought in. And I, I would say a, a big turning point was in 2013 when DHL, the express company, became our main sponsor. And I'll maybe tell you the backstory of that. So what happened is we contacted them for advertising and they said they might advertise soon because they're launching a new business block, an African business block, block. And we then contacted them and asking like, who's doing this blog for you? Because obviously we're the experts. Um, and we found out that it was an advertising agency in South Africa going to do this blog. And we basically pitched, they, they already signed off this other company, but we went in and pitched them. And then they put that whole thing on hold because we pitched to them that we want to produce the Africa business blog as sort of a separate publication from how we made it in Africa. And then the conversation, it ended up being that they would, rather than duplicating something, why don't they just become our main sponsor? So that was quite a lucrative deal. It was like they paid like a few years up front, like it was very good. Um, be, just be, I remember while waiting for their money to come in, we had like 20,000 rand or something in the bank, which is probably like a thousand dollars. So it was really crunch time. Um, but yeah, luckily it, it turned out well. But it, it, was, it also wasn't close to DHL. Like we still had other advertisers. They were just the main sponsors. So if you look at a football jersey like they were the one on the chest and we had other like advertisers on the sleeves and um, other places so, so yeah so so you grinded for three years before you got that main sponsor which I think a lot of people um, you know they don't even have that type of grind and with doing being a consultant and doing business with so many people the folks who really push and push how did you eat until you got to that main sponsor were you having to do you know work for other publications were you freelancing at night, were you at the Monte Casino, which I think they should be your next sponsor? You know, were, were you over there dealing cards? Um, what What did you do? No, uh, no, we 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 lived from advertising. It, it was just very, it just what was just relatively small deals, but it was enough to sustain us. So I've never done something else since I started this business or I haven't done something else to sustain the business. So yeah, we, we had other advertisers, but it was just, yeah, it, it's just like ad, online advertising then was difficult. It's even more difficult now, but yeah, we, we basically lived through like smaller contracts. The, the good thing about DHL was just that because it was a multi-year contract, it, it just gave us some, like a decent amount of money in the bank and some breathing room in a way so that you don't stress every month on making salaries and all that. 
what about um, a lot of folks when they get that, you know, big offer, especially the first one, um, a lot of times they feel like, you know, it comes with so many stipulations that they get nervous. Were they going to allow you to do what you had been doing and just offer the money? Or did they also want to say, since we wanted to create this for ourselves, like, we want you to do it like this and change this up? Yeah, so um, they, they obviously had a lot of branding on the website. We changed some of the website, the colors on the website to fit their, their colors. And we did a weekly interview with one of the country managers across Africa as part of the deal. But besides that, we carried on as usual. So... Yeah, they, they, they were quite good in terms of that. And it was obviously also in their interest that we create the best publication possible because the more people that we attract, the more people uh, see their branding. Yeah, no, so no, there, there weren't very much stipulations. Yeah, it probably would have been a much more difficult conversation if, if they were difficult about that. Now you were you were born in South Africa, correct? Yes. So you're a proud South African. I can tell you're a proud African because of the way you do the publication. It's very pro Africa, like America is pro America. We're the best. You know, there's no other country better, and blah blah blah. Um, it, how important was that for you to give Africa, because you're doing all the, the countries, you know, there's no limit, folks, um, to show it in a positive light, because I don't know if you've ever been to America, and this isn't the time to come, please, um, no need to come and be quarantined and, you know, <laughs> stay, stay safe, because Africa is doing a lot better in this pandemic, but how important was it to you to show a positive Africa um, you know, in the publication? Um, okay, so, so first of all, so we, uh, our pitch to readers is that we speak to Africa's top entrepreneurs and business people about how they build their companies and some of the business trends that they see in their countries and sectors. So our goal is actually not to be positive, but it's really, yeah, I know that the name makes it sound like it's only good news stories, but that's not really the idea. But because we don't we write about strictly business, so you won't find like, corruption scandals or things like that in our publication just because that's not really our focus but I mean we would happily if someone had a negative experience in a country or if they say it's difficult to do business in Cameroon because for these reasons we do write that so it's not it's not really about portraying Africa in a positive light but I think the the type of content or the type of information we provide. So we write about trends and opportunities. So it's not really negative stuff. So it might come across as if we're trying to be positive, but it's actually very important for us to give people uh, 
realistic um, account of what, what is happening on the continent. And in terms of, and, and yeah, it, it was also very important for us to make this an African publication. I, I think a lot of the, I mean, as you know, or might not know, a, a lot of the African publications are based in London or, yeah, especially London. And they have a very sort of um, inward-looking angle on Africa. They would speak to people in Brussels, like some EU Africa commissioner or someone about Africa. But, yeah, we didn't want to do it like that. We, 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 speak, we obviously speak to foreign investors as well, but it, it, it's very much we want to give it an African feel as opposed to sort of an from the outside looking in type of feel. Okay, I think that's important um, that you said when you have foreigners talking about it, and, and again, London has its own propaganda, you know, and, and, and so when you, even though you didn't do it on purpose, when I first saw the, the name, I'm thinking, wow, let me see what this is because I'm thinking of a YouTube channel of somebody repatriating back, you know, to the continent and saying how they did it. And then to see all these different stories and they just keep coming people. And, and I definitely say, check them out because I look at it as someone who has investment in Africa in different countries and has land in Africa and my wife is from Cameroon. Funny that you, you had mentioned. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I have been to at least um, four, including South Africa, four uh, African countries. Uh, let me count them, make sure. So people don't say I'm lying. Cameroon, South Africa, Ethiopia, and Kenya. Um, and I, this helps me because I can say, wait, Maybe I can, you know, somehow invest my small amount of pennies into different things. So when I come there, it's I want to make an African salary. I don't want to focus all my money on what can be made in America. I want to, what can be made in Africa. And a site like yours does that. And I think the more it grows, the more, you know, people will see like you personally, I don't know if you've gotten rich off any company that you've invested on. Let me ask that because you can see it from the ground level and say, wait, this company is going to be explosive. Let me, you know, invest. Has that ever happened? Not yet, but, but I, I have seriously thought about getting partnering with some VC firm or someone to invest in some of the companies that we come across, you know, like Bloomberg as an, a VC arm. So not yet, but it's definitely something that I've thought about. Oh, okay, so right now, as we speak, um, there's a conference going on called the DITDE.com. And I can send it to you um, on, through LinkedIn. But Venture Life and all these different venture capitalists are on there right now and business people. And so it's just connecting with them because that's where your billion dollars or your billion rand or tri let's say trillion rand because I, I got to do the, you know, the calculations. Yeah. Um, that, that's where that's going to come from. 
because I mean, you're right there. And as a consultant, I see things like that. And that's why I think it, because I'm like, oh, nobody knew that was going to be big. But because I was ground level in some type of conference that, you know, five people might have been in, boom, I found out what was going on. So I, I love that. Where do you see it, your, the platform growing? Because I did notice that, let me let that airplane go through. Uh, okay. Uh, where do you see, you know, the platform grow? I did not see like a, a big focus on YouTube yet. And I know that's a whole nother job project you got to put money towards, but are you moving to a YouTube or TikTok or anything like that? Or what's the future? We, we, we so last year, our relationship with DHL came to an end and it put us in a difficult spot because we were like, what now? Because I, I wasn't really interested in the type of ad hoc advertising where you pester a client for six months and then they book a one month campaign and then you sort of start again. It, it's just too difficult that whole advertising game. So I thought about it for almost a year and we've now launched a subscription service a few months ago. And that has been, so people can pay monthly or annually if they want to read more than three articles on the website. And that has been going fairly well. So that is definitely the future for us. So we, we, we still have advertisers, but it's not, our main focus at the moment, the main focus is driving our subscribers. And, and what makes that amazing is that the, the problem with advertising is you're basically running two businesses. So on the one hand, our product is the website with the information, but then you've got a whole separate business of selling ads around that information. And you're, it, it doesn't really cor necessarily correlate. You can have so many people to your website, it could be the exact right audience for an advertiser, but still they would rather advertise with Facebook or Google or whoever. And with advertising is you just spend so much money on doing monthly, uh, not money, um, time on monthly reporting and keeping them happy and answering their questions and ensuring that their campaigns get enough exposure. And now with the subscription model, all we need to focus on is the information that we provide. So I've actually, I haven't been this excited about the publication for a long while. So our immediate focus is to drive the subscribers and then, yeah, we will, we'll see where it goes. Um, like you mentioned, there's all those, those platforms, we can go into events, we can start the type of a membership network thing. There's plenty to do, but yeah, at the moment we're, we're focused on driving the subscribers. I think that membership network thing, if people can connect, because I, I represent uh, YouTube's most watched uh, black news network, the African Diaspora News Channel. And um, a few years ago, we went to Ethiopia and then we brought 30 people last year to Kenya. And there's such a hunger here with all the violence that we have. 
and you know people talk about oh there's a, why would you go to africa don't go to south africa i heard they'll they'll beat you in the street just for being american and it's like wait we're the king of beating ourselves in the street um you know just individuals uh police whatnot um and so people are hungry to go and i haven't met an American, I don't care where they're from, what they look like, who when they go to South Africa, hasn't loved South Africa. A lot of times it's a romanticized, I'm a tourist. I saw everything, you know, that I wanted to see and I was rich out there, you know, but I could see connecting people because the, I tell people the only thing you can really bring to Africa is your wallet and start investing. You know, don't start going and trying to tell, you know, Jocko, hey, what you, you know, I'll tell you what, you'd really make it big if you had an OnlyFans for this, right? No, don't, don't start that. He's good. But I think connecting people, that could be awesome. Almost like an investor club, even, where there's an annual membership. We've seen this work with others where they're charging maybe like $1,000 a year to get and connect with people that they would not connect with. And so I, I, I love, I love the uh, progress that your site has. Um, there's a young YouTuber out there. I don't know who they are yet. Let me know off air if you need help finding them who would love to take what you're doing and go interview all these people. You know, it's a woman, of course, in my mind, it's a young woman who, you know, she's hungry, she's eager. Um, but do you do you think that putting a YouTube channel together and even if it was, you know, using interns from the colleges, is that something that you'd even be interested in doing? Um, it depends on how we are going to monetize it. So if we can monetize it for sure, but from my own experience, but you would know better, is, I mean, it's it's expensive to produce like decent videos. I, I suppose it depends on the level of production you're going for. And yeah, I'm just not sure if the YouTube revenue is gonna be there. What we would probably be more interested in is keeping, doing videos, but keeping it behind our paywall for our subscribers to offer them more value. Um, yeah, I'm not not too keen on giving free information away anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, 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 I love that too because I tell every YouTuber have their own server because these places are censoring every day more and more. You can't say this, you can't say that, and I'm a, I'm a old school Alex Jones fan. When I used to drive a big rig truck driving a bomb through the oil field and everything. And I'm like, I want to hear what I want to hear. I want to choose what I can hear. I don't want you to pick. So I, I believe in the free speech, even if it's crazy speech, because somebody out there, you know, might <laughs> relate. Um, that, that's awesome. What, what is it that, you know, with your success, what is like a community give back that you are doing or that you want to do in the future because you have a network now and you're able to, you know, really employ people. Um, so what's the community give back after you've had this type of success? Well, uh, once I've got 
so much money that I don't know what to do with my, my time. I'll probably give it better thought. But at the moment, like, I, I, I believe that by doing good business, you're employing people, you are paying people, and that is sort of what, what we're focused on for now. To be honest, we don't really have time for, like, completely unrelated things. So, I mean, I... I have to see paying people to write for us, to edit for us, working for us. I see that as our positive impact on the world, if that makes sense. Okay. And I would ask, hey, is there an amount of money? Because all the money in the world, it seems it's never enough. Over here, we get taxed so high. But you know, I, I think that what you're doing is, is, is so, so great. And we're definitely going to support on that subscription base because, again, I, I've been blessed by it. I, I, I want to talk because I can hear, sometimes I can hear like the, the negative Nellies, the, the haters out there. And I got to kill anything that they say, you know, doing real journalism. And I, I want to know, you know, diversity and inclusion is like the big talk everywhere. And so with the people that you hire, do you, and you say, okay, I know the history of South Africa. I know what I'm doing. I know the people I'm doing business with. Does that, some, is that a focus of yours or, or how do you deal with it? Because many entrepreneurs we talk about and that we're hired by, they're like, we don't know because we have the privilege of being the majority here but you are the minority there. But at the same time with the history, it, things can be, you know, wavy and rocky. And that's from other South Africans saying that. I can't say that because I have a great time when I'm in South Africa. I'm an American. I open my mouth and it's like, oh, the Americans here. So is diversity and inclusion something you focus on and to just kill all the haters, do you have a diverse team? And what do they look like? Yeah, so at the moment, we are literally um, sort of three full-time people and all the rest of our writers and editors and people are freelancers, which, and this, the, the reason for that is because we want people from the rest of Africa and it just becomes a bit complicated employing people full-time, like if they're based in Nigeria. And also it allows us to work with more different journalists and writers from different countries. So, yeah, I mean, the people that we use of, I mean, it's not like naturally we employ people from all over. It's not something that I sort of, think too hard about because we kind of do it anyway because we but yeah I, I must say one of our biggest challenges is definitely journalism talent like it's something that we really really struggle with so I mean I probably put out a notice on LinkedIn once every two weeks like writers in East Africa needed writers in West Africa so it, it's really something that we struggle to source uh, good writers, but yeah, once we found find them, we sort of try to keep working with them. But 
Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I mean, we don't have a we're a small company. We, we don't have a diversity policy. Like we naturally employ people, work with people from all over. Um, yeah, so it's yeah. I'm I, <laughs> I'm not pissing pissing off the haters. <laughs> okay, no, I just I you know you you hire who you hire, and a lot of times when you're starting, I mean, it's whoever can do the job. Um, but at the same time, I know like uh, Elon Musk had got some flack when he went back to South Africa. Well, I think it was Elon Musk. Yeah, he got some flack and they were like, we're the, you know, you're black folk and you're in Africa. And that's from the Western media side. But in South Africa, you know, sometimes you know who you know all through Africa. You know who you know. But people, That's very true. That's very but, true. But people... I tell people hire, you know, get your talent from all over. Make sure you have a woman there because she's going to balance things out and don't just have one and put her up. But we need people from all over to get that global perspective because Indians do a lot of business in Africa. And so it would only be, you know, you have to be tied in with everybody because this is a global village. And after we get through all the nonsense of what the media wants us to think about, we have to think about how the world works better when you have people from all over because you can get those perspectives and make more money. And um, so that, that's why I asked that question just for the haters to be like, you didn't ask any diversity question to the South African man. Okay, hold on. We got that out. And people can only answer that question the best that they can. So there's no magic right answer. It is what it is, you know. With, with the, you know, with you doing journalism, I don't want a whole bunch of people to flock you with, hey, I can write, I can write. But I do want to, if they do hit you up so you don't have to answer this question, is it a paid position when they freelance? Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we... Um, we, we, because people pay for our information, we really need to give them top-notch information. Otherwise, they're going to cancel their subscriptions. And yeah, we're not going to get people <laughs> like writing that stuff for free. Um, no, it's like journalism is super expensive. And yeah, it's, it's all paid for. Yeah, no, we, we don't yeah, operate like that. Okay. I, I, hey, there's so many websites out. I remember when this thing was on a, um, a CD, you know, to get internet. So I, I go back and I remember, I mean, there were times you could get people to do a lot just to put their, like medium.com, you know, people just put their stuff out there to put it out there. So people are hungry. Um, and I understand starting as a journalist, how people have kind of lost that form of writing. Sometimes I'm scared to write again. I say, what's this thing? I mean, a pen, a piece of paper. Um, and, I, and I have an editor now because I'm just like, you know what? I haven't practiced that skill and kept it going. And there's people who could probably outwrite me, but they can't outwork me, though. They, they, they can't outwork me. So outside of how we made it, um, the website, is there ever a publication, special edition, or any merchandise that the people can purchase? Yeah, so uh, two years ago, we launched How We Made It in Africa, the book. 
which uh, tells the stories of 25 entrepreneurs who've built thriving businesses in Africa. So that, that it's very similar to the type of information we have on the website, but it's, it's much longer or the stories of each entrepreneur is told in a much longer format. So there's that, which is available. Um, the digital version you can get for free if you subscribe to our website. <laughs> Just need to plug that. Um, but yeah, there's the book available. And yeah, there's no other merge besides that, but to come back to um, your earlier question, that is also actually an opportunity where I see some additional revenue opportunities. Just because Army Made in Africa is a cool name and I, I can think that, that you can uh, design products with that on it and that people, people would like it. Now, you said there's a book available. Can you give us a, a summary of what that book is about? So it, it tells the story of 25 stories of 25 entrepreneurs from across Africa. And it just explains in relative detail how they built their businesses, the challenges they faced, the lessons they've learned. Um, yeah, so that, that's about it. Can, can that book be bought on Amazon? Yes, it's available on Amazon and it's also available on um, book.howwemadeitinafrica.com. It's got its own website as well. Okay, so you guys type in How We Made It in Africa and is it just um, an ebook or is it something too that they can print from Amazon? On, on Amazon, it's, you can print it and as well as the Kindle version. And from our own website, you can also buy the printed version, which we ship from South Africa, as well as the ebook version, which can be read on Kindle and like all the Android apps and things as well, and on iPhone. I guess it would be too early, I feel, to say when your own personal book is going to come out. I think you're going to wait for, you know, um, a couple more of those big checks. Would I be correct? Yeah, I don't, I, I think to not get too hung up <laughs> on myself. Uh, I actually find these interviews very difficult, even though day in, day out, I, I expect other people to, to tell their stories in brutal honesty to me. But yeah, personally, I find it yeah, a bit difficult. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's not something that I'm thinking about at the moment. Okay, okay. That's, I mean, make, make sense, fair, fair, but everybody has a book in them. And I think the way you put all this together, I think that, you know, I know it's, uh, this was even a stretch to get someone from behind the scenes to come on. I appreciate that you did because it kind of takes you out of your element. You're going to go back and write stories about, you know, five other people this week and get back to normal. But I don't want to give the people a game overload. I do want them to go check out your website, go support the website. And, and I thank you for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you.
Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.